Hey, welcome to Centerpoint Church. My name is Brian. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint. And if you're brand new with us, here's what you should know is we're one church in two locations. And so we have a campus in Valrico and in Wesley Chapel. And man, we just love that uh, during these series, we can kind of track together, learn and grow together. And so today we start a brand new series. And I just want to welcome you, whether you're in Valrico or in Wesley Chapel, and maybe you're looking for a place where you can plug in and grow in your faith, um, or maybe you're investigating faith, kind of figuring out questions about the Jesus thing. Either way, we are so glad you're here. We'd love to connect with you. We'd love for you to go to Connect Point in the lobby at either campus and join us for Next Steps, which you should have already heard about from your campus pastor. But man, we're so glad you're here. And if you are in Wesley Chapel, I especially want to welcome you. And I just want to tell you about a couple weeks from now, we have a huge announcement and an exciting announcement for your campus. And so stay tuned for that. And I want to let you know about in two more weeks, we start another brand new series on August 13th. And that's kind of when everybody's coming back to school and kind of the ministry year really gets rolling. And I'm excited, really excited about this series. And we say this all the time, a new series is the perfect time to invite. So get 30 seconds of courage, text somebody, grab a card in the lobby in either location, invite somebody as we start that new series. I'll be um, preaching at both locations via video in Wesley Chapel um, and live in Valrico. And I'll also be live in Wesley Chapel in just a couple weeks. So man, we're so glad you're with us as we start a brand new series called That's Crazy Today. And uh, I love this quote that every single weekend we gather as a church on Sunday, but we live on Monday. And as John Acuff says, we need to help people where they live. And so that's really what this series is all about. Every series hopefully is practical, but this is, I think, extremely practical because it really is relevant to every single one of us. But I got to kind of admit, like I'm a little nervous starting this series, and um, I'm just not kind of sure how it's going to go. I feel like it's a little bit risky. And as I was putting this series together, I thought about this incident in John 6, and maybe you've heard about it before, but Jesus gives this incredibly kind of offensive a talk. Um, it's really kind of weird if you read it. And it says at the end of the talk in John 6 that the crowds just started leaving, like they just okay, this is too much, this has gotten way too weird, way too offensive. And so they just stopped following Jesus and the crowds just left. And then it says that shortly after that, they tried to stone Jesus to death. Like that's how bad the talk was. So I'm kind of thinking this could be my John 6 moment where like it gets a little offensive and everybody just kind of leaves. Or maybe I get to the other side of it and you try to stone me to death. So uh, the only good news is I'm via screen in Wesley Chapel, so I'm safe there. But um, he, here's why this series like could be a little offensive and why I kind of need to set this up. Because here's what I want to do. I, I want to teach you how to do something that you think you already know how to do. And even that statement kind of seems a little arrogant, but I, I want to teach you how to do something that you think you already know how to do. And it's not so much that I want to teach you to do something, but I want to teach you how to do something. And the thing is, and there's even statistics around this, as Americans specifically, um, we don't really know how to do this, but we think we do. And so where it could get a little bit, hey, that's a little offensive, or I'm not sure you're right about that, or where you have some pushback, um, I, like I get it, but I want to teach you how to do what you think you know how to do. And here's what I want to do over the next couple of weeks. Here's what I want to teach you to do. I want to teach you how to be generous. I want to teach you how to be generous. And, and again, immediately when I put that up there, you're like, dude, 
I already know how to be generous. Like, I give, like I've given financially to things, I've met needs, I give stuff away. And so immediately when you hear this, you think, because I give, I'm generous. This is kind of like, um, maybe this has never happened in your home, but every once in a while, um, my wife and I will have an argument and like maybe she'll say to me, which is completely probably fair, like, hey, you never help with, like whatever it is, like unloading the dishwasher. And when she says something like that, what do I do? I immediately think to the one time in 2013 where I unloaded the dishwasher. I'm like, you're crazy. I unload the dishwasher all the time. And I'm thinking about an incident in 2013. We do the same thing here because everybody gives. We give spontaneously. We give when we feel a need. We give when we see some pictures. We give stuff away. We, we write checks every once in a while if anybody still uses checks. But, but at some level, like we think I, we know how to be generous because we give. But the fact that we give may mask the fact that we're not actually generous. And I, I get it. That's a little offensive. But here's, here's what I want to say as we kind of set this up. Here's what generosity is not, or I would say it this way. This is what generosity supersedes. Generosity supersedes random acts of giving. And random acts of giving are incredible. In fact, later this fall at all of our locations, we're going to have some opportunities for some random acts of giving toward our partner organizations in the city that are helping the marginalized and the hurting and, and the hungry. So random acts of giving are amazing, but generosity supersedes that. And in fact, generous people are far more strategic. It also supersedes cash flow. And what I mean by that is, well, at the end of the month, we've got a little extra so we can give it away, or, or you get to the end of a pay period and suddenly things are tight, and well, we just don't have like, any margin to, to give any money away. And so what you do in terms of your financial generosity is predicated on cash flow. But really generous people, their generosity supersedes acts of giving in a random way, supersedes cash flow, supersedes amounts. And here's what I mean by that is... Like somebody may give a gift and somebody else looks at it and goes, man, that was such a generous gift. And honestly, at the end of the day, we don't really know if it was generous or not. Because generous, truly generous people have ordered their entire life. They have ordered their financial world around generosity. And so unless you have the whole picture, you don't really know if what somebody gave was truly generous. And here's what you find in scripture is that amount doesn't really count. It's much bigger than that. And then finally, generosity supersedes income. And this is so important. Like here's, here's what we all need to know is, you already know this, but rich people are rich. Poor people are poor. And generous people are generous. It, it has nothing to do with income. And here's what I would say if you're like in your 20s right now is that and we'll look at this, whatever you're doing now is kind of probably what you're going to do later. And if you have the idea of, man, if I just pay off these student loans and get this in order and eventually get a legit job or move up in this job, then I can begin to be generous. But really, there is no correlation. There are poor people who are generous. There are you know, medium income people who are generous. There's rich people who are generous. And there's also poor and medium and rich who are also greedy. But real generosity has nothing to do with income. Rich people aren't generous. Generous people ultimately 
are generous. And so what I want to do in this series is literally, as weird as this sounds, and I get it, I feel weird saying it, I want to teach you what the scripture talks about in terms of ordering your life and your lifestyle around generosity, not random acts, not where it's predicated on cash flow, not where it's about you know income level, but true generosity where day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year, your life is arranged around generosity. Now, Okay, before you leave, before you try to stone me, at least in Valrico, like just, just chill for a second because there's no need to be nervous. I'm not asking you even today to do anything. I, I want to teach you how to do something. And here's the thing, and you know this, you don't do half of what I tell you to do anyway. So like you can just chill and you can walk away and do what some of you do most Sundays, like ah, I'm not going to do any of that. And, and that's fine. So there's no need for you to be nervous, all right? But as we launch into this discussion, here's what I mean when I talk about generosity. And this is like a kind of too long, too wordy definition, but I want to tease some of these words out next week because they all have kind of some some really specific meaning. But here's what generosity is. Generosity is the predetermined, meaning you have a plan. It is specified, meaning you know the amount. It is designated, meaning you know where it's going, freeing of your personal financial assets. And so in this series, I just want to be straight and really upfront. We're not talking about generosity in terms of your time. That's, a, that's another series. We're not talking about generosity in terms of your priorities in other areas. We're talking about specifically generosity as it relates to your finances and your money. And here's the thing about it. Here's why this definition is huge is because all of us have been around inspiring people that at some level can inspire us to give. And we, again, we write a check or we give them our debit card or we give a little bit of money away. We've been around people who can at some level even guilt us into something. I mean, you you get somebody with a mic and a persuasive enough personality and they can, you know, they can move people into giving. Or you've maybe been bribed or experienced somebody who kind of bribes. I mean, here's basically what a bribe is when somebody stands up and says, well, you just give God one and God give you, God will give you 10 back. That, that's basically a bribe. And, and here's the thing where you won't find that in the scriptures. Um, and you live in the United States of America, which means you already got your 10. So, but, it, but everybody's experienced persuasive personalities who are able to do all of those things. And here's what you need to know about gener- generous people. Generous people have the ability to kind of supersede all of that where they don't have to be sold and they never feel guilt. Like they'll feel a need or they'll sense a need or even experience emotion about a need and be able to say, no, I just, I don't feel led to give to that right now with zero guilt because their life has been ordered around generosity in a very specific, predetermined, designated way where they are freeing their personal finances and they're being generous and their life is organized around it. That's really what generosity is all about. And here's the promise. If you're already ready to check out and you're like, man, I'm not, how long is this series again? Here's the promise, and really this is a promise from Scripture, around the person who takes the step to really organize their life around what is truly generous. Here's the promise. When you become generous, you will, three things. You will give more, you will save more, and ultimately you will consume less. When you order your life around generosity, you will give more, unless you happen to be one of the one, two percent at our campuses where you have literally oversaved and hoarded. There's not a lot of you, but there's a few of you. So you are not going to save more, but you will give more and consume less. But as you order your life around this, this is the promise. 
Now, here's the other thing, just to go a step further. Here is Jesus' very specific promise in Acts 20, 35. And this is really interesting. And you've probably heard this verse and maybe didn't know it came from the scriptures. Here's Jesus' promise. You will be happier. Here's what he says. Paul's talking in the context of here's what Jesus has done. And he says this in Acts 20, 35. It is more blessed. You heard this, right? It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, real quick, like if, if maybe especially growing up, you heard this verse and I did, like I kind of had a little pushback because I'm like, yeah, I get it. Like I am happy when I give. Um, even now as a parent, when I'm able to give gifts to my kids, like there's nothing better than that. But at the same time, in the back of your mind, you're going, okay, I'm happy when I give, but I, I'm also really happy when I receive. So like to put those against each other to say I'm happier when I give, I'm not sure because sometimes I'm as happy when I receive. And just to be honest, uh, sometimes I'm even happier when I'm receiving. And here's what Jesus is actually saying. He's not talking about a specific moment in time. He's not talking about a decision or that time when you gave. He's talking about in this context, this is the person whose life is ordered around generosity. It's not an event, it's not a random act of giving, it's not this time or that time or that specific incident, but it's a life that has been organized around that. And literally the Greek word blessed is they will ultimately be happier. And we know this. I mean, the evidence of this is the happiest people you know, check it out, are the most generous people you know. And the most generous people you know are the happiest people you know. And so here's the thing that I want to really start to dig in on. And so I'm going to give you this statement, and you're going to kind of think this is for shock value, but I want to take a few minutes, about 10 minutes, to tease this out and really explain what I mean and the fact that this really is true. And the statement is just this, that the majority of Americans, the majority, I mean like 90%, and that's probably just about everybody at all of our campuses and our services, so don't wiggle your way into the tent. About 90%, most Americans feel financial pressure because they have never learned to be generous. And give me a second to explain this, but most Americans feel financial pressure because they have never learned to be generous and have never taken Jesus seriously around this area. Now, here's the thing. The word that is most associated with money or finances is this word right here, and I want to kind of show you a little diagram, worry. The, The... the word that you hear most around the issue of money is worry. Worried about, am I going to have enough for the future? Am I going to have enough for retirement? Am I going to be able to buy the ring? Are we going to have enough for the wedding? Am I ever going to be able to get out of debt? Am I ever going to be able to get out of this lease? Am I ever going to be able to save enough? But the word that you hear the most is worry. And then for the majority of us, out of that worry, do you know what we do? We spend more than we make, or we spend as much as we make. I mean, just think about this for a second. Because we are worried about finances, because we're worried about money, the majority of us spend as much as we make, or we spend more than we make. And then that leads to debt. That because we're worried, we're spending as much or more than we make, and then we start to to accumulate all of this debt. And debt is such a crazy thing because specifically like you're, you're loading up you know, credit card debt or whatever it is. In that instance, what happens the moment you make the purchase or whatever is that because of interest, the price goes up and immediately the value goes down. 
I mean, it's, it's nuts. And so we worry and we spend more than we make and then we load up on debt and then we have no margin. And when you have no margin, you have a lot to be worried about. There's no wiggle room. There, there's all of these eventualities that could hit and, and there's just, there's nothing to play with there. And then we worry and then we spend more than we make and then we accumulate more debt and then we have no margin and then we worry some more. It's, it's nuts. And then here's, here's what I would add to this, if I could add a couple words to kind of, again, tease this out, is here's the thing we worry about. We worry about future consumption. Again, am I going to have enough? Am I going to be able to get that? Are we going to be okay? Are we going to be able to get out of that? Are we going to be able to save enough? And we worry about future consumption, so what do we do? We consume more than we afford. And then we rack up a bunch of consumer debt. And then we have no margin for future consumption. (laughs) And and here's the thing about it, and and here's what you have to know. Everything that drives this, everything that is behind this, and just hang with me for a second because I want to make this as practical as I possibly can. Just go with me, and then you don't have to do any of this. But but here's the thing behind this. A, A mindset is what drives it. So let me ask you this question, and this is for everybody. How much would you ultimately need to stop spending everything that you make? How much would it be? 10%? 10% more, and, and suddenly you would stop spending more or as much as you make with every paycheck? Maybe 15%? If somehow, like uh, maybe a jo- job change or something, you got a 25% increase, what would lead you to a place where you no longer spent more than you made? And here's, here's the answer to that question. More money than you will ever get at one time. Because as you move forward, hopefully your finances and your income increases over time. And what happens is your spending increases with it. Your habits just go with it. And so the answer to the question of what would you need to stop this, stop consuming more than you can afford, spending more than you make, is more money than you're ever going to get at one time. Because none of this is a money issue. All of this comes down to a self-control issue. Money is not going to change it. And, And then let me ask you this question about debt. How much would it take for you to just stop the crazy consumer debt if if you're in that and there's so many of us who are in that place? What would 10% where suddenly you're not charging things on a credit card where immediately when the purchase is made, the value goes down and the price goes up, where, where you could get out of debt, what, what 10%, 15%, 25%? And the answer is no, because this isn't a money thing. This is a contentment issue. And whatever your habits were before the 10% raise is what your habits are going to be after the 10% raise. They just go with you. And then let me ask you this question about margin. Like, what would it take? Again, maybe 10, 11, 12% raise to where suddenly you have margin and you get a 10% raise and there's 10% that you're able to chuck away and put into the bank, 15%. Somehow, some way, you get a 20% raise and you can make margin. Like, what, what would it be? And the answer is none of those things because this isn't a money issue. It's a discipline 
issue. It has nothing to do with money. It has everything to do with a way of thinking that is driving this behavior where you worry, you spend more than you should, you rack up debt, you have no margin, and then you're worried all over again. So let me ask you this specifically if you're a Jesus follower at either of our campuses. And if you're not, man, we are so glad that you're here. And in some ways, we built this place with you in mind. And, he, and here's the thing about it, too. If you've attended churches where they want you to submit to Jesus' teachings, but you've never like, really signed on to the Jesus thing, like that, that's crazy. So we have no right to tell you what to do or how to live. And in fact, here's what you'll find in the Scripture is that Jesus constantly invited people to follow him before they even believed, meaning they could investigate, they could kind of lean in, they could you know, figure out what he's talking about, begin to pl- apply some of it if they wanted to, and they could begin to follow long before they ever believed. In fact, all of Jesus' disciples in the New Testament followed Jesus before they actually fully believed Jesus. So we are so glad you're here, and you can do some of this if you want, but you're not accountable to any of it. But if you're a Jesus follower, let me just ask you this question. How much more would you need to stop worrying? How much more? If you could just get to that 15% mark, I mean, eventually, if I can just move up 15% more, then suddenly I'm going to get to a place where I don't worry anymore. Like, how much would you need to stop worrying about money? And the answer is, there's no amount. There is no amount of money that is going to lead you to a place where it's going to do away with your worry because ultimately it's a spiritual issue. Like um, when Nicole and I, my wife, when we were first married, we um, sat down with a couple that she had known and I was getting to know them. They're mutual friends. And they were, he owned this business, had owned a couple businesses, was a multi, multi-millionaire. I don't know how far out it went, but he was a, he was a rich guy. And I'll never forget sitting down with, at dinner with them and they start talking about, you know, kind of their, you know, what's going on. And I remember her um, talking about and then him about the fact that, man, you never know what's going to happen, and, you know, if you get sick and da, 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 da. And they were sitting there talking and you could just hear the worry in their voices. And these people are worth millions of dollars. And I walked away, and at that point, like, I wasn't even making a paycheck. We were just starting the church. I mean, my wife was a Christian school teacher. I mean, we had nothing. I walked away, and I'm like, man, if they're worried about money, we have no shot. We just pack it in right now. But here's the thing. Worry has nothing to do with money. Worry has everything to do with a spiritual issue, ultimately, with the fact that you, me, us, have placed our riches in or placed our hope in riches rather than the one who richly provides. We have leaned our weight and we have leaned our kind of trust into stuff and into riches rather than into him who richly provides. Worry is a spiritual issue. Worry is not ever solved with an amount of money. It's just not. And so here's what I would say is this right here, that's crazy. That is absolutely insane. And everybody does it. This is just the culture that we live in. Whether you follow Jesus or not, this is just a thing in culture of this worry, spend more than you make, debt, no margin, worry again. And then we think we're going to solve it with a little bit more or or a little extra or a little bit, you know, more of a raise. And yet it's not going to take care of any of it because it's not a money issue and it has everything to do with a way of thinking and that's crazy and I'm telling you and this is what I want to unpack in this series there is a better crazy there is a better way to live because here's the thing more money does not suddenly produce self-control and more money 
doesn't suddenly produce contentment. And in fact, contentment is like an appetite. You feed an appetite and it grows. You starve an appetite and it starves out. But contentment is like an appetite. You know the reason that you're so discontent? It's because you have so much. And more money does not solve contentment. More money doesn't give you more discipline. It doesn't solve any of those problems. In fact, I would say it this way, just to summarize. More money does not eliminate worry. But we think it does because we live in the world of crazy, and so we just think more zeros is somehow going to be enough, but all it's going to do is add more zeros to our discontentment, add more zeros to our lack of margin, add more zeros to our debt, but ultimately it's not going to solve the problem. Our, our whole worry, discontent issue has nothing to do with money. And here's what we'll find out is that generous people have found a way to move beyond what could be called the assumption of consumption. And what I mean by that is just this, that everything that comes to me is for me, that everything I get is for me to use, the assumption that everything that comes to me ultimately is for me. And every once in a while, I'm going to give. I'm going to feel a need. I'm going to see some pictures. I'm going to be moved emotionally, but I'm not going to do it to the point that it's going to affect or disrupt my crazy cycle. And generous people have found the way to move to a place where they think differently and they do do not buy into the, the lie of, if it comes to me, it's for me. The assumption that everything is for my consumption, because that's the problem. And, and here's what Jesus said. And again, if you're not a Jesus follower, you don't have to take any of this seriously. But here's what Jesus said to those of us who are following him, that that whole mindset and that whole thinking ultimately is greed. And that's tough because None of us think we're greedy. Like people admit to being angry, people admit to sometimes even being jealous, but nobody is ever greedy because, again, greed is masked by the fact that we give. Greed, greed is masked by the fact that we, we do things. And we think of greedy like somebody, you know, like raining money somewhere. I have the picture of like a rapper that's sitting on his bed and there's stacks of money everywhere, but that, that's not what greed is. Greed can be when you have a little. Greed can be when you're in the middle somewhere. Greed can be when you have a whole lot. Again, it's, it's regardless of amount of anything. It's regardless of your portfolio. And so we think, well, because I give, I'm not greedy. But Jesus says, if you buy into the lie of the assumption of consumption, where your whole life is around the thinking that if it comes to me, it's for me, that, that you're greedy. And that greed will always lead to worry. And greed will ultimately always lead to discontentment no matter how many zeros you put on the end of anything. In fact, think about it. I think this is true for most of us. That most financial angst is the result of wanting what we can't get, not needing what we don't have. That most financial angst is not around, man, I need this and I can't get this. Instead, it's around, I want this, but ultimately, I can't get this. And, and here's the good news, and here's what I want you to hear is that as you learn to be generous, and I'm telling you, nobody does this, all right? So you're, you're going to be on an island somewhere. You're going to look weird and crazy, but it's a different kind of crazy, and it's a better crazy. But as you learn to become generous, and as you learn to crush the assumption of, uh, the assumption of consumption, and you begin to think differently, it changes everything. Because all of this is about a mindset. All of this is about a way of thinking. And when you think differently, you will crush crush the assumption, of assum the assumption of consumption, and it's going to change everything for you.
So one day, Jesus is talking with his guys, and he starts to tell this parable, and a parable is basically like an untrue story that's used to illustrate something that's true. He uses like fake people to make a real point to real people, and so one day Jesus is with his guys, and Luke 12, 16, Luke records it, and so he says this, Jesus told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. So even like several thousand years ago, the rich get richer. Like he already has a bunch. Now he's going to get even more. And at this point for this rich guy, he has more than he's ever had in his life. In verse 17. And so he thought to himself, he's sitting there going, okay. And he's thinking exactly like we think. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. I have so much right now. They're like, I need, I need a bigger garage. I need another garage. We need to get a storage unit. We need to diversify. We need to move. I mean, I, I have so much stuff that I have to make room for this stuff. And so verse 18, so he said, then he said, this is what I'll do. Pause. And, and do you know what he did? He did exactly what he had always done. He did exactly what he had done in the past. He, had, he did exactly what he had always done. Here's what you need to know. More money doesn't change anything. I'm telling you, if you're in your 20s, if you can begin to take Jesus seriously, it will change everything. If you can begin to do the right things in this area of your life now, it will serve you well into the future. But what you do now is really going to set up what you do later. Because it's all about thinking. It's all about habits that ultimately follow you. It's all about, man, am I going to trust Jesus in this area to be crazy in a way that nobody else is doing this? So here this guy is, and he does what he's always done because he's thinking the way he's always thought. He's assuming the way he's always assumed. And so he gets more, but he doesn't get more generous. You never do. He gets more, and he, he just gets richer. And so he says, I'll tear down my barns, I'll build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain, basically. I'll save it now, and I'll consume it later. Next slide. I'll save it now, and I'll consume it later. I'll, I'll, I'll just kind of pile it all up now, and I'll consume it later, which is exactly what crazy people do. And so verse 19, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink. Be merry. He's like, man, I'm set. I'm good. I've saved a little for retirement. Like, everything's good. I'm just going to chill. See, here's kind of the strange thing is that for some of us, if you could look back 20 years ago, you, you had this, this mindset, this idea 20 years ago, if, man, if I could ever get to this point, if I could ever make this much, I'd be good. Like, I would be okay. Like, I'd have margin. I would save money. I would, like, I would be content. And here you are 20 years later, and a lot of you are at that place or even beyond that place. And even with inflation, it's crazy because you're right where you kind of hoped you would be or in that benchmark of if I ever got there, I'd be good. And yet here you are, and you are as worried as ever. And you are as discontent as ever, and you have more debt than ever because you have always done what you've always done. You are doing right now what you did in the past, and it's followed you into the present. So this guy is at the end of his life going, man, I'm good. I'm set up for life. Verse 20, but God said to him, 
you fool. You fool. And, and you're not a fool because you're rich. You're a fool because you're confused. You're a, f- a fool because like, you're assuming that it's all consumable, that it's all disposable. I mean, just think about that. Like, even our language, like the wording, consumable, disposable income, consumable, to get it a fire, disposable, like it's my consumable, disposable income. Imagine we had a team go to Guatemala last week. Imagine as they sat down and tried to explain that to to some people there of, of we have consumable, disposable income. And so God said to him, listen, not because you're rich, because, but because you're a fool, or, or, but because you're confused, you're a fool. And this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Like you have lots of stuff, <laughs> but you don't have lots of time. And, and you were somehow under the illusion that more stuff was going to buy you more time, or you assumed that you were going to have enough time to consume. And so at this point, God kind of asked the guy a question in the parable, and he asks us a question. He asks you a question. He asks me a question. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded of you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And the answer is easy. Somebody else. But not because he was generous, but because he's dead. And none of it is going to go with him. And so ultimately, who's going to get what you prepared? Not me, somebody else, but it's not because of my generosity. And then at this point in the parable, Jesus steps back. He's been explaining this whole parable, untrue story, used to illustrate something that's true. But then he backs up out of it. And Jesus, through the ages, looks at you and looks at me. And he says this, verse 21, this is how it will be. This is how it will be, basically. As you order your life around the wrong assumptions, the assumption of consumption, as you lean into this way of thinking, which is the way everybody seemingly thinks, in the future, you will have total loss. You will lose everything, and you'll have nothing to to really show for what you consumed, and in some cases, what you hoarded. And Jesus is going, if you go down this path, and if you think this way, this is the end for all of us. This is how it'll be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. And rich, it's not rich in your time, rich in some of your other priorities. This is specifically about your money. He could not be more clear. It's all throughout the scriptures. When he talks about rich toward God, he's talking about your financial world, your money. And he says, listen, whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God, this is how it's going to be. I mean, come on. Like, Rich toward God is the same that we would think in a human relationship. Like if you, if you wanted to be rich toward me, like just, just love my kids, just love my wife, just, just take care of them. And in fact, what you do for them is even better than what you do for me. And Jesus is like, if you want to be rich toward me because I own everything and need nothing, if you want to be rich toward me, you're rich toward, you're generous toward my kids. That's how you're rich toward God. So he, here's the bottom line. Here's the mindset that truly generous people begin to take on. Generous people don't assume it's theirs to consume. 
Generous people don't assume it's theirs to consume. That everything I get is for me. If it comes to me, it's for me. And here's what Jesus does that is so incredible. Jesus is so brilliant because he defies our notion of ownership. And here's how he defies our notion of ownership. He defies our notion of ownership by appealing to our common sense. Because here's intuitively what all of us know is that if it cannot be taken away, if it can be taken away, you never really owned it anyway. Jesus defies our, our notion of ownership by just appealing to common sense. If it can be taken away, if, if you, it can be ultimately taken from you and you don't control where it goes, then you don't really own it. And ultimately, you're just managing it. And, and here's the thing. There's usually kind of two groups of people that, that learn this the hard way. Those that get to a place where they just lose everything. I had a friend a few years ago went through a really difficult divorce and um, I'm not suggesting this or giving advice around this, but he didn't contest it, and he ended up, just, whatever you want, I'm, I'm just going to give it, and literally lost everything. But what was strange on the other side of that, he was like, listen, I, I've lost everything. I just, I kind of just gave it all away. I, I didn't fight a single point. And he said, I feel so incredibly free <laughs> because I don't own anything. I don't owe anybody, and I, there's just a freedom in it. And he realized at that point, like, I, I'm not taking any of it. I'm just a manager of it. And, like, I, I, I ultimately, I, I don't possess it. I'm not a manager. I'm not a consumer. I'm not an owner. The, the other kind of group of people that learns this the hard way is maybe a, a close relative dies. And when they die, you have to go in maybe and, and clean out their stuff. And it's at that point that just kind of this thing comes over you where you know we're going to give a lot of this away we're going to keep some of it, and even that probably don't have room for, so you're going to store it somewhere. We're going to sell some of it. But just like this reality hits you that, that here's all of this stuff, all this stuff they accumulated, all this stuff that, that they saved up, that they don't own. They don't own it anymore. And the reality hits that we are not owners, we are managers, and we are stewards. We manage temporarily. And this is how generous people think every single day of their lives because it's true. This is reality. The crazy cycle isn't even true. And the notion of if I can just get more and just go after another carrot and just hit that benchmark when in reality there's just going to be another benchmark, there's going to be another dollar to chase, and it's never going to change what's behind the crazy cycle. But generous people think differently and they realize every single day I'm a manager because it's true. If it can be taken away, then I never really owned it anyway. And so Jesus' point is really just this. Since it's all going to be taken away, since it's all going to go away, why would you miss the opportunity to give it away? Since it's all going to be taken away, why would you miss the opportunity to give it away? Because I'm telling you, living like you're an owner is crazy because it's a myth. It's not even true. And when you step back, we all know that. It's just common sense. And living like a consumer is crazy because all it does is lead to increasing discontent where you feed an appetite that grows. And the more you get, the more you ultimately consume. 
So how cool is it that Jesus would step into our Monday lives and go, man, I want to lead you in every area, even including how you handle your money and your financial resources, because in reality, everything is spiritual, not just what you do sitting in seats in an auditorium. Every part of our lives is spiritual. And so God in his grace says, I want to direct you even in this area. And when you take a step to follow me and to go, I'm going to take you seriously, even though it's crazy and countercultural. When you take that step, your relationship of trust grows. And I can tell you by experience, you begin to realize that in every area of your life, Jesus is just better and his plan is better. And ultimately, you begin to glorify him in every area, including your money. That literally, as you decide to trust him, as your trust grows, as you step out in faith, you begin to bring glory to Christ, even in how you handle your money, literally, meaning you point people to Jesus with what you do in your finances. Because you are most like Jesus when you're generous. And so Jesus says, will you just trust me? Will you just follow me in this? And so here's the thing. Imagine if we just change our thinking. Imagine if this week, you just, in, in every area, you began to think differently. And you don't think like um, a, a consumer. You don't think like an owner, but you think like a manager. As you look at your stuff in your garage, you look at maybe giving something away financially, but then that worry hits of, well, what if this happens? Or, or you're going to loan something, and you're afraid of maybe what they're going to do with it. And, and you just kind of step back from all of that and begin to just think differently, assume differently. I, I'm not an owner. I'm not a consumer. I'm a manager. And again, when you take this series seriously, you're going to look crazy. Nobody does this. Everybody's just on the crazy cycle. But I'm telling you, this is a better crazy, and it's what God has called you to. Listen, come on. If you're specifically you're a Jesus follower, and even if you're not, if you embrace this, God has called you to be more than a consumer. And when you begin to order your entire life, and we're going to talk about this next week, so you need to be here next week, and I'm going to give you some very specific application about how you do this. But as you begin to order your life around generosity, you will be financially free. Or you can just keep living on the crazy cycle. And you can worry and have anxiety the way everybody else does, and you can spend as much or more than you make, and you can rack up debt, and you can have no margin, and then you can just worry some more, and you can buy into the illusion of if I could just change my circumstances and get a little bit more or get the raise, it's going to change something, and it doesn't. You just make another run at the crazy cycle, or you can embrace a different kind of crazy and allow God to begin to work in this area of your life. And I'm just going to tell you again, the reason that most of us feel financial pressure is because we have never learned to be generous as Jesus defines generosity. And I'm just telling you, man, there, there is something to it. Like I, in my life, and I'm so thankful that at an early age I was taught this, so even before it became a heart thing, it was just kind of a, an intuitive discipline thing that I'm so grateful for. But as I look back and, and as my wife looks back on our time together, we, we have never gotten emotional about a car I mean, not even a house. We, we've never got emotional about purchases. But I can barely tell the stories of, of as we've given stuff away and given money away and what God's done with it. I can barely tell those stories without getting emotional. 
I can barely tell the stories of as we were starting the church, giving our savings away and then watching God use that and watching God literally intersect in the lives of people and save and rescue them. And as we've had opportunities, as God's presented them, because we've ordered our lives around this and kind of lived on 80% our whole time, including early in our marriage when we had zero money. We've watched God as we have just just created the margin to be able to give things away and to be able to help people and to be able to invest financially. Watching what God has done has been extraordinary. And I'm very reluctant to tell you that, but the only reason I do is for this reason. I dare you. I dare you to take Jesus seriously in this area. I dare you to step into this. I dare you to step out of cultural majority crazy thinking and begin to go, I'm going to do something different. I'm telling you, Jesus honors it. Jesus does something extraordinary extraordinarily, extraordinarily powerful through that. And it orders and changes the rest of your life in some ways. And so I I just dare you to trust him. And come on, even if you're a place of, man, I've wrecked things so, I mean, so badly financially, I just have gone off the rails. I, I still encourage you, teach your grandkids this, teach your kids this, tie it back to Jesus. And here's the side benefit. When you get older and can't take care of yourself, they're going to have more money to take care of you. So there's a win in it for everybody. But I'm just telling you, I invite you to just begin to take Jesus seriously in this area. And today, I'm not asking you to do anything, but would you begin to walk away and just question some of your assumptions? Would you question some of your thinking? Because if you begin to think differently, if you begin to get to a place where you just defy our notion of ownership and override that assumption of consumption, God, as you renew your mind in those areas, will begin to do something extraordinarily as as it relates to your generosity and to your financial world as a whole. And so he says to you and he says to me, would you just take a step? Would you just trust me? Would you just begin to to just kind of move forward just just at a small level to take Jesus seriously as it relates to this area of your life. And next week, we're going to talk about specifically how that looks. But the invitation is, question your assumptions. Would you think differently? And Jesus says, would you trust me? I'm going to throw it over, if you're in Wesley Chapel, um, to one of your pastors there as we close in prayer.